invite you all to turn in your Bibles, if you would, with me to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, and as you turn there, I'll remind you that in your bulletin is a a sheet, uh, Reverend Wood referred to it earlier, that shows where we're headed in Sunday school in the next few weeks. Uh, That's our 9 o'clock Sunday school time, and this is a, a wonderful opportunity to jump in. We start this coming Sunday, May 1st going through some some tough questions about the faith, really, that probably a lot of us are wrestling with uh, at some level, maybe others around us are wrestling with, and we could help them to explore these topics. So I invite you to come and join us for Sunday School. The backside of the sheet also shows where we're headed the next few weeks in our messages from the pulpit. So that's there for you as well. As you turn to Matthew 27, we'll be looking starting in verse 27, verse 57, I'm sorry. And we want to take a look at this important reality, of course, today of the resurrection of Jesus. And as we do, we're going to see several individuals, several groups of people, how they intersect with the reality of the resurrection. And, of course, as we do that, we're invited to consider for ourselves today, how does that shape, how does that even transform my own life? What's my interaction with the resurrection of Jesus? I invite you then to stand along with me. I will read aloud as you all read silently. Stand in recognition and honor of God's word. Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 27. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, We remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, He is risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers? Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy 
and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. You may be seated. As you do, let's pray again. Oh, Father, we praise you and thank you for your word, and then it reveals to us many grand things for our lives, for our walk with you. We praise you in particular today that we have this testimony of this glorious working of Jesus rising from the dead. And we pray now as we look at it, Lord, as we look at this testimony of this wonderful thing, that you would work in our lives and transform us by it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've all been there. You got something at Walmart, Target, Home Depot. Maybe it was a rug that you thought was going to be perfect and then thought better of it. Or maybe it was that decoration for that perfect spot in the corner of the kitchen and you got it home and it just doesn't really match. Or maybe it was like me when I first moved into our previous home with its big yard and I went to Home Depot and got the cheapest possible mower I could find, the 20-inch with the little tiny engine, and got home and discovered that it literally would not cut it. We've all been there. Whether it's been two weeks or two months, you decide you want to take that thing you paid for back, but you need something first. You need that receipt. And so you go looking for it. And you find the one from three years ago for a McDonald's ice cream cone. And you find that book that you meant to return to the library a half a year ago. And you find all kinds of things. You look in the kids' children, the little children's toy bin. And you look in the bag that you got the item in. And you look under the car seat. And you look and you look because you know that you're going to need that receipt to show that you paid for it when you go back to the store. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, this central truth of God's redemptive plan, is a lot like that receipt that we need. It demonstrates to us the proof That our penalty has been paid. If sin and its result, death, is the result of our fallenness, and Jesus paid for that on the cross on Good Friday, then the resurrection, it's many things for us beyond this, but today we'll focus in on this. The resurrection is that demonstration, that proof that it has been paid in full. That we can have salvation through Christ. So as we look at these verses today, and if you'd like to follow along in your bulletin, you can. There's a section for notes in the back part of the bulletin. There's a main idea, probably won't surprise us on Easter Sunday. 
Let me put it this way for you if you want to write it down. It's just this, that when Jesus rises, when Jesus rises, he proves his salvation. He proves his salvation, which he offers up to humanity. And so we ought to respond to that resurrection. We ought to be moved, impacted, transformed, changed by it. It should have an impact on our lives. So Jesus rises, and we ought to respond to that resurrection. The reality, though, is that as we gather here today and from different places, different places in our spiritual journey, might be some of us here wrestling with whether we even believe that such a resurrection took place. It is a miraculous thing, undoubtedly. It is a work of God that this resurrection took place. So we may be here wrestling with that at some level, and these verses are going to speak to that. We might be here and we know the concept, we understand the idea, we can say the words, Jesus rose, and we may at some level acknowledge it in our mind, but it really doesn't have much impact on our hearts and lives. This receipt, this proof doesn't really compel us that much. As we're going to look at these verses today, we're going to see that God offers to us through the lens of three groups of people, one, the religious leaders that are talked about here, two, Joseph of Arimathea, I'm going to take those a little bit out of the order they appear in the verse, and then three, the women going to the tomb. Through the lens of those three groups, we're going to see, one, the resurrection substantiated, that there is evidence to support this idea of the resurrection. So we're going to see that. And then two, we're going to see the ways that we are challenged by these folks and how they respond to the resurrection. And then three, we're going to see how we're greatly encouraged today by knowing that Jesus rose from the dead. So let's take a look at that, starting with the religious leaders. These folks, if you look with me in verse 62, again of Matthew 27, If you have a Bible handy, or if you don't, you might grab one on the end of the pew. It says that there were the chief priests and the Pharisees gathering before Pilate. The uh, chief priests, to help us to know a little bit, the chief priests are the kind of religious leaders, sort of like the clergy, maybe somebody like me. The Pharisees, on the other hand, although we typically think of them as being religious leaders, they are, but they're different. They're lay people. They're part of the congregation. They're not in some official capacity. There's really serious people about trying to seek the Lord. We'll see that, in fact, even though they're serious, they're seriously misguided. So we see that we've got this group of folks, these religious people. And if you look with me in verse 63, it's very interesting to me. They go to Pilate and they tell him what they have heard. They've heard Jesus say, after three days, I will rise. They're not ignorant. They know, they have heard, they've heard the information in their mind that Jesus will rise, but they just don't want to embrace it. The interesting thing is, of course, that they are the religious leaders. And so for us here today who might Uh, either be heavily involved with things of church or maybe just consider ourselves a pretty good, pretty moral person like perhaps these folks did, there's a great caution here that we can know 
certain things about Jesus, but not really embrace them by faith. And the resurrection calls for us to embrace it by faith. It's interesting if you look with me at verse 64. Keep walking down through there with me. It says they uh, are talking again to Pilate. They're asking for help again. He says, therefore, order the tomb to be made secure. This is the Pharisees and uh, the priests talking to Pilate. Order this to be secure, lest the disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he is risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. And then Pilate says, okay, go ahead and do that. Do you all see the irony here? They are asking Pilate to do something to try to block a fraudulent view of the resurrection. They want to keep any fraud from happening. And guess what? As they're doing that, they are actually helping to substantiate for us today the reality of the resurrection. Because think about it. It's not nearly as dramatic, although still incredible, for someone to come out of a tomb that's unguarded and doesn't have a big stone in front of it. But you've got a tomb that's guarded and has a big stone in front of it, all the more amazing of a resurrection. So they're coming in hoping to kind of debunk it, kind of head things off of the past, and in fact, as they are intentionally trying to resist the things of the Lord, they're being used to substantiate the things of the Lord. C.S. Lewis put it this way, He said, if we will not become God's servants, we will often become his tools. God's using these folks, even though they're not seeking him. As we think about these men and their view of the resurrection, one passage comes to mind. And if you, again, have a Bible handy, I'd encourage you to turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. It's a passage about the resurrection. 1 Corinthians is back further in the New Testament. It's after Acts and Romans and so forth. It's well before Hebrews. But if you look at the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, and you think about this reality of the resurrection, why is that important today? We're all gathered here. We know it's a big day in church and in the faith to come and gather for Easter. Well, why? Why so important? It's interesting, starting in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul, he's speaking to the church, and he's going to talk to them about this profession of faith and about the importance of the resurrection. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So this is something they've embraced, they've come to understand, it's changing their lives. And in verse 3, he says, what is this message? I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then he lists off a number of people that Jesus appeared to, Cephas, He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Then he appeared to James and to all of the apostles. And then he says, last of all, to one untimely born. He's talking about himself. Jesus appeared to him as well. Then jump down with me to verse 12. Just a couple more verses to read from this. And follow what he is saying about the importance, not only that we have some concept of the resurrection in our lives, but that we actually believe that this took place. It's essential. 
for our faith. Verse 12, he says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And then here's what's important for us. Verse 14, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ. Verse 16 then. For if the dead are not raised and even Christ has not been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. And then verse 19. If only in this life we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Do you hear what he's saying there? He's saying it's not going to help us just to have some general concept that there's some sort of spiritual power to raise us up. He's saying it's absolutely crucial that we believe that in space and time, at a certain point in history, this God-man Jesus came in, died, and was raised up. That is a cornerstone for our faith. It's essential for us to believe. The religious leaders, they don't quite get that back in Matthew. They're not tracking with it, and it's a big caution for us that it can be easy to have some information about Jesus and his resurrection, but not really be transformed by it. Second group of people, I guess he's just an individual, but uh, Joseph of Arimathea. Take a look at this guy. We're back in Matthew 27, so flip back over there with me. This guy's kind of to me like that fellow, if you've ever read about in the Old Testament, Melchizedek. He kind of blows in just right at this specific point for this specific use. And you really hadn't heard much about him beforehand. And those guys are always interesting to me. But look with me at verse 57. It says there was this man from Arimathea. Joseph was his name. And he was a disciple of Jesus. Now, Matthew kind of presents the most positive perspective of that. He was a follower of Jesus. But if we were to look over in John at the similar passage... John reminds us that Joseph was a follower of Jesus in secret, in secret. He didn't want to come out into the public light. And there is a fascinating thing going on here as Jesus has died. The disciples of Jesus, those who have walked with him publicly, who threw their themselves in the hat with Jesus and said, we're with you for these three years. We're going to walk with you. We're going to be with you. They're fading to the background. They're going into secret. They can't be found anywhere. And this guy, Joseph, who would only follow in secret on the sidelines, on the edge, is now coming to center stage. He's ready to go public with where he stands with Jesus. We don't know that much about all that he believed, but I want you to see a couple of things we can take from this that are really important and probably the crux of all that we talk about this morning. The first thing is that once again, the resurrection is substantiated. If you have a man, Jesus, again, he was executed as a sort of common criminal. And he is placed in some tomb that's unidentifiable or that we can't track down or not even placed in a tomb at all, then how are people going to go and be able to see that he's risen. J. 
to have this guy, Joseph of Arimathea, coming sort of from nowhere, all of a sudden says, I'll take care of the tomb. And so people know where it is. It can be verified. People can go there. The women that we're going to look at in a few minutes that go and visit him, they know where to go. So Joseph is helping to substantiate this, but there's a lot more happening with Joseph. He's coming from the sidelines and ready to get into the game now. And maybe that's true for some of us today, spiritually speaking. He's been, he's been following Jesus, so he believes something about Jesus, like perhaps some of us do today. But he hasn't been ready to really be public with that, to be a part of his followers. In our case, we'd say to get connected with the church or with some kind of Christian fellowship to grow. He's been off to the sidelines. Now he's stepping in. And it's a beautiful picture for us. For some of us today, that first step might be the step of just believing this gospel message we're talking about today, that we really are. You heard these young men affirm it real clearly up here that we really are deserving of God's displeasure without his mercy, and that yet he sent his son to show us this love, to show us this mercy through Christ, and to raise us up, to give us a new power in our lives, and that we can have all of that, regardless of what we've done in our past, regardless of what we do today, regardless of what we do in the future, simply by what Jesus has done. Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. So there's an invitation along those lines to maybe take that first step, and I would hope that you would share with one of us uh, pastors or other church leaders if you're taking that first step, if you're coming off the sidelines and into the game that way. For others of us, that step's going to be just coming off the sidelines of spiritual involvement, getting connected, getting involved with the body of Christ so that we can grow and flourish there. Joseph shows us that picture coming off the sidelines and being amazingly used. And you might be surprised, even wherever you feel like you've come from in your life, whatever things you've been through or done, you might be surprised at how the Lord, if you would take a step towards being used of him, how he might just use you as well. Last thing we see here is these women, Mary, and then Mary, Mary Magdalene, and then Mary, Another place where these messages of the Gospels are substantiated. I hope you'll understand this. They'll come across in the right way. In the ancient world, they did not value the testimony of women in the same way that we would value it today. It was more easily dismissed. So let me tell you, again, I come from a skeptical background, and perhaps some of you have that posture as well. If you are trying to make up a story about the resurrection and have people believe it, you do not have, for the ancient world, you do not have women be the primary ones to come and testify about it. So this isn't a very sharp makeup story, if it is. And all three of the Gospels testify that the women were the ones. Some of them mentioned that Peter and John came later, but the women were there at the tomb first. Let me mention one other thing as well, because whenever you, there's probably a Time Magazine article out this week or Newsweek, I don't know, I haven't looked, but it'll say something generally, those who want to be skeptical about the faith and don't want to receive this for what it's worth, that, uh, you know, you had one account where you have two ladies 
showing up at the tomb. And you have another one. We have the two women, and then you have Peter and John coming. And you have another one where it just mentions Mary. And it does a contradiction that the Bible is just, just one example of the contradictions in the Bible. And here's one right at the heart of the Christian faith because it's the resurrection. Let's just debunk the whole thing. Well, the problem is that's not a contradiction. You can say Chris Peters was at South Shades Crest Church this morning, Easter morning, and that's true. You can say Chris Peters and a bunch of other people were at South Shades Crest Elementary School this morning, and it's true. You can say Dax and Kathy were at South Shades Crest Elementary School this morning, and that's true as well. They're not in contradiction. A contradiction is when you say Chris Peters was at South Shades Crest Elementary School and Chris Peters was not at South Shades Crest Elementary School. Those things are in contradiction. Okay? So that's important for us. The story actually makes a lot of sense in reality. And let me just show you one thing from these ladies. They come and they're seeking Jesus. Look in verse 5. So you've got... The religious leaders, they know some information, but they don't embrace it. You've got Joseph coming off the sidelines, now ready to get in the game. These ladies, if you know anything about them, have been following Jesus. They've been tracking along with him publicly. And they come, it says in verse 5, the angel speaking to them. And the angel says, for I know that you seek Jesus. They're coming because they know Jesus has something for them in their lives. Even though they expect, it seems, that he's dead in the tomb, they are still coming to see Jesus because they know something is powerful and special about him. And boy, do they get to see Jesus. They get to see the announcement of the angels, and then the angel directs them on down the road, and as they're traveling along, they run into Jesus. And verse 9 says, They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Folks, in the resurrection, we see Jesus and his purpose for our salvation and his victory and that paying of that receipt and his power to work in our lives. We can see Jesus today dwelling upon, meditating on, seeking his resurrection in our lives. These ladies see it and we can as well. Well, we started off talking about payments and debts and receipts and so forth. So we'll end off there as well. Perhaps you've heard the story of the gentleman who arrives at the pearly gates. And, of course, as it goes, St. Peter comes out to meet him. And St. Peter says, well, here's the deal. You tell me the good things that you have done in your life, the good things for the Lord or whatever else, and I will give you point totals for each of those items. And then we'll add them up. When you hit 100, you get to come on in to heaven. So the man starts, and Peter says, well, you know, give it a shot. What you got? man says, well, I was married to the same woman my whole life and never turned away for her in actions or in my heart. Peter said, well, that's a little hard to swallow, but... Okay, if that's true, we'll give you two points for that. Two points. Man says, whew, all right, I guess I better dig a little deeper here. All right, well, I went to church every day of my life and supported the church in every way I could and was involved at every turn. 
Uh, how about that? Peter says, well, that's, that's good, too. That's not bad at all. That's going to get you one point. Man is just befuddled. Oh, goodness. He's got to dig even deeper. He says, well, I also was part of a soup kitchen, and every week I went down and helped out homeless veterans and took care of them and people who were in need, and I really served them in every way I could. Peter said, well, that's that's not too bad either. We'll give you two points for that as well. The man was just floored at this point. He said, what is the deal? I mean, at this rate, the only way I'm going to get into heaven is by the grace of God. Peter said, that's right. Come on in. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do praise you and thank you for the grace that is demonstrated to us in the resurrection of Jesus. Oh, Father, we ask that you would enable us to lay hold of that. We praise you that it assures to us undoubtedly that sin has been paid for because death, the consequence of sin, has been conquered. And, Lord, we ask that you would give us today new life that comes from the resurrection. We ask that you would increase our faith in it, knowing that that resurrection teaches us, reminds us that all our debts have been paid. We stand, if our trust is in Christ, righteous before a holy God regardless of what we've done or will do. We praise you for that, Father. And we praise you that this debt has been paid and the receipt is in our hands. Oh, Lord, would you help us to meditate upon it, be changed by it, and drawn closer to you through it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.